the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Jesus had been working many miracles all around the area. The blind got their sight back. The lame walked. The demon-possessed were set free. The sick were healed, and the dead were raised back to life. Jesus sent the disciples on a mission to preach the gospel of repentance and heal people all around. But they would be sent on their mission without returning home to prepare first. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 9, verse 6. The disciples, they could have whined about not having their creature comforts. Why can't I go home and even get my walking staff, Jesus? It's important, it's immediate, you gotta go. But they didn't whine. They could have drew back thinking, I can't heal or I can't preach. But they didn't do that either. They obeyed. And look at verse six. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Isn't that awesome? They obeyed, and the, and the word there went, it's in the imperfect, which means they just kept on going. They just kept on going, trusting the Lord to provide for them and to use them the farther they went. And what happened? God did awesome things. God did awesome things. I need to make something very clear. It says they healed everywhere. This is not a mission that has been given to us by Jesus. He has not empowered us to heal everyone everywhere we go. If that's the case, then we are the cruelest of all people to even allow hospitals to exist. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 20 that Paul left Epaphras sick at Miletus. Now, there's two things I know for sure didn't happen. I know for sure that Paul didn't go, Epaphras is getting on my nerves. I could heal him right now, but I'm just not gonna. I'm out of here. I can guarantee you that's not why he left Epaphras at Miletus sick. I can also guarantee that, that Epaphras and Paul, neither of them were lacking faith to, to heal him. It's just a matter that God had a different plan for Epaphras at that time. I don't know what it was. It's not my job to figure it out. But unlike these guys who are in this specific mission, and please don't hear what I'm not saying, I believe in divine healing. We lay hands on the sick. We anoint them with oil. I believe that. I trust God for healing. You know, I don't just sit there and go, and God, you know, help the doctors, whatever. I'm like, no, God, do something supernatural. I pray for that. I ask God for that, and I trust God for that. But I also realize I'm not the healer. He is. And I am not God. And he has not given me a mandate that I can go wherever I want and lay hands on anyone I want and they will always be healed. I don't have that mandate. The Bible says, and I believe it's Second Peter, it might be First Peter. No, it's First Peter 4, very end of First Peter 4. It says there is a suffering according to the will of God. There is. You cannot dispute that. So please don't let anyone ever tell you and go, this is our mission. It is not our mission. This is their specific mission for these six verses. We have a different mission. Now it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That should be happening. But it doesn't mean that every single place we go, we can just choose to pray for whoever we want and they'll always be healed every single time. We don't have that. They did have that this time. 
talking about that does bring up an important question. Are you and I being faithful to the mission that God has given to us to go out and make disciples? Or maybe God has given you a specific mission. Are you being faithful and obedient with that? Or maybe, maybe you've never asked him what your specific mission is. Today would be a good day to do that. Well, verse seven, while they're doing this, it says, now Herod the Tetrarch, this is Herod Antipas, one of Herod the great sons. He's the one that wanted to kill Jesus. When he died, his kingdom was divided into four parts. That's what the Tetrarch means, four parts. And Herod Antipas was given control of the area of Galilee. And that's the area where all these healings are taking place. And when people are getting healed like this, news is gonna get around. And so Herod, he heard of all that was done by Jesus. And he was perplexed because some people were telling him that, it, well, it's John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others were telling him, well, Elijah has appeared. That was a a prophecy in the Old Testament that Elijah would come back before the great day of of the coming of the Lord. And so it's Elijah. Jesus is Elijah come back to do these miracles. And others were saying, no, it's one of the old prophets risen from the dead. Well, Herod was a a bad man, and so he knew he he was concerned about any of those possibilities. So he's thinking to himself, John, I have beheaded. It can't be John, and people don't just come back from the dead. So he was thinking, it can't be John, but who is this guy of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. He goes, I want to figure out what's, what's going on with this guy. Who is he? He wanted to see him. This is Luke's very short account of John the Baptist's murder. The other gospels actually tell us the full story of why Herod murdered him. Here it just says he beheaded him. But I think the significance of why Luke brings it up is because remember back in Luke 7, John sent his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you the Messiah or what, man? Should we be looking for somebody else because this dungeon's getting, getting bad? I, I'm your cousin. I'm pretty sure cousins get messianic priority. And Jesus had to tell him. He said, go tell John. I'm doing my job. But John, you're not getting out. This is how your race ends. And then the disciples went back and told John. And so here we see that John finished his race well. He finished his race faithfully and obediently. His job was done. Now, may the same be said of you and me. And Herod will eventually get his chance to see Jesus, but it will disappoint him. Luke 23, 8, 9 actually tells us that Herod was all excited when Pilate sent Jesus to him because Pilate thought, man, I don't want this case. He's from Galilee. That's Herod's jurisdiction. Herod happened to be in town for the feast of Passover. And so he sent him off to Herod. Herod was all excited because he wanted to see Jesus do some trick, some miracle, whatever. And so he starts questioning Jesus and Jesus just didn't say a word. Herod's like, this is what it's all about? Well, you're nobody. And he sent him back to Pilate. That was it. So Herod, he got what he wanted, but didn't end up like he wanted. But while he's figuring out how he can see Jesus, the disciples actually complete their mission, verse 10. And the apostles, and Luke calls them the apostles. They're not apostles yet, but he calls them that because remember, Luke is writing much later on when they are apostles. And the apostles, when they were returned, they told him, Jesus, all that they had done. And well, they should, because God had used them. And that's exciting, right? But Mark tells us some things that Luke doesn't tell us. Mark also tells us that they were exhausted, that they couldn't even get a meal to eat because of all the crowds. They're like, Jesus, man, we are wiped out. It was awesome, but we are wiped out. The other gospels also tell us that Jesus was kind of wiped out too. And he was going through a bit of a rough time. His cousin, John, had just been murdered by Herod while the disciples were away, so he had to deal with that alone. And he's also wiped out physically. So Jesus decides they need a vacation. And so it says he took them and they went aside privately. It means they tried to conceal where they were going. They didn't let anybody know. They went aside privately into a, a desert place, which just means where nobody was at, you know, kind of a secluded area. 
belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, and he decides we're going to go here to get away. There was lots of hills and valleys where they could kind of get away and relax and, and just kind of recuperate from how busy things had been. So Jesus doesn't announce it, but that's how badly they need this vacation. They need this time away. And yet when the people realize that Jesus is gone, they go looking for him. They find his trail. This begins one of the longest days of Jesus' life. Look at verse 11. And the people, when they knew it, when they realized Jesus was gone, they followed him. They caught his trail. As private as Jesus tried to be, they figured it out. Mark tells us that those people actually got to the destination before Jesus' ship got there. So as Jesus' boat pulls up to shore, there's all these crowds of people waiting for him there. All the crowds of people waiting for him there. Now, he needs a vacation. The disciples need a vacation. He's going through pain and loss. What's he going to do? How will Jesus respond? When look, it says, he received them. And he spoke unto them of the kingdom of God, and he healed them that had need of healing. We do need to turn to Mark 6.34 to see Jesus' internal reaction, because I think that's important. Here we see why Jesus did what he does in Luke. Mark 6.34 It says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and he rolled his eyes in frustration. Is that what it says? I must have the nearly inspired version. Uh, Let me try another one. And Jesus, when he came out, he yelled at all the people, saying, don't you know I'm on vacation? Is that what it says? No, it says, Jesus, when he saw them, he was moved with compassion toward them because they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. Jesus... He didn't yell at them. He didn't roll his eyes. He invited them to come close. That's what received means. He welcomed them. And then he taught them about God's ways, like we sang today. Show me the ways of God Almighty. Lead me in the plans you have for me. He taught them God's ways. And he met their needs. He healed those who had need of healing. You see, in that moment, as Jesus saw these folks who had probably run all that way to get ahead of him, he saw that they had nowhere else to go no one else to go to. The religious leaders, they didn't teach them God's ways regularly. They weren't there to help them through their suffering. So even though Jesus was exhausted and he had planned something entirely different, he served them. And let me ask you this morning, do you know that Jesus is never frustrated when you come to him for help? He's never frustrated. He's not like, didn't we just, didn't I just help you with this last week? I mean, can't you do this marriage thing? I mean, I got the instructions all right here. The manual's there. Get the manual. He never reacts like that. He never gets frustrated. His heart is always moved with compassion, and he always welcomes you to his side. Don't ever let the enemy convince you to stay away from Jesus. Now, it does beg the question, though, for us, how do we respond when others need us after we've had a long day or a bad day? or we've received painful news on that day. Convicting, isn't it? I just need five minutes. (laughs) I do that all the time. And the Lord never says that. I just need five minutes. Just give me a break. I've had a long day. Haven't slept. Boss is on me. Jesus never does any of those things. Even though he was exhausted, even though he's experiencing the pain of the loss of his cousin, he served them. Now, We run into a little problem because as he's teaching and healing them, it says in verse 12, when the day began to wear away, then came the 12 disciples to him and said to him, send the multitude away 
that they may go into towns, into the towns and country round about and lodge. In other words, find a place to stay and then get victuals, go buy some food because we're here in, a, in no man's land. You know, we're here in a desert place. Now, what's interesting here is the disciples, there's a real problem here, but this is their solution is get rid of them. Their solution is you need to send these folks away, Jesus. And, and that's how it comes off too. The phrase you, mu- you must send is in the imperative, which means not just send these people away, but it means you need to send these people away. That's the answer, Jesus. They're telling Jesus what to do. You know, this silly crowd, Jesus, they didn't plan very well when they took off after Jesus, after you and ruined our vacation. And so the disciples put their head together and they figured this is the only solution. Just get rid of them right now, <laughs> right now. That's fascinating because they've just returned from casting out demons and healing the sick, but they don't have faith to figure out a better solution than get rid of them. No, they don't. Because unlike Jesus, they aren't moved with compassion for these folks. And when love grows cold, faith will be weak. I mean, Jesus gives many descriptions, but two specific descriptions that he gives of the end times. He says, love will grow cold, and will there be any faith? And the reason is, is because they go hand in hand. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, Jesus said that when he comes back, he said, before he comes back, he said, the men's hearts, they will grow cold. Their love will grow cold. And he said, will there be any faith left? Luke 18, 8. That's because one leads to the other. When I am self-oriented, self-centered, I'm not going to see other people. I'm not going to see the Lord. And so I will come up with carnal solutions like these guys. Just get rid of them, man. They got to go, they got to go somewhere. But despite his exhaustion, I imagine Jesus has to be thinking, okay, Lord, I know, Dad, now why you interrupted our vacation here. I mean, I know I had those plans, but I realize why you let this happen because it's time for an object lesson in love and in faith. So in verse 13, Jesus, he gives his solution to the problem. He says, but he said unto them, you give him something to eat. Now, I love the but there because it's almost like Jesus is saying, sorry, guys, you don't tell me what to do. I've got a better plan. You, because the word ye is emphatic in the Greek, you, this is your next mission. You just came back from mission, you're all excited about it, now here's your next one. You guys, you all, give them food to eat. Now, it mentions here that they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy food for all this people. I mean, we've only got this much, so unless we go buy food for this people, how are we gonna feed them? For it mentions there was about 5,000 men. Now, they would never count women and children back then. I'm not saying that's right. It's just how the culture was. So there's at least 10,000 people that are present, and probably more, but there's at least 10,000 people when you count everybody. That is a lot of food, is it not? Now, John 6 tells us that after Jesus said, you guys, you guys need to feed them, and they're thinking, well, what, you know, what are we, how are we going to feed these guys? Jesus actually asked them, he goes, Philip, where are we going to get food for all these folks? And Philip said, Lord, our entire savings, all the offerings we've received, our entire savings won't be enough to pay for everybody just to even have a tiny bit of food. Now, John 6, 6 tells us that Jesus asked them to test them because he already knew how he was going to provide the food. He already knew he was going to multiply the food. But he's asking him, and, and Philip, he's thinking to himself, he's the numbers guy, he's doing it out. He's like, Lord, even if we spend all the savings we have, every last penny we have, it still wouldn't be enough for everybody just to get a small smidgen of food. Now, Andrew hears that, and he's like, wait a second, Lord, we have some food. He's, he is the one who says, one of the kids here, probably a child of one of the disciples, the 12 or whoever else was following Jesus, said he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And it's almost, you know, you can almost imagine Peter kind of looking over at Andrew going, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. (laughs) Stupid brother. Always, uh, do you think this through? How are we going to feed everybody with that? Because, because Andrew, immediately as he says it, he goes, what is such among so, such a big crowd? It's almost like he rises up to think, well, we can do something. You can do something with this, Lord. But then he's like, yeah, but, you know, that won't work. That won't work. I don't think Jesus expected them to figure out his exact plan. But he did want them to rise to faith. And to say, well, we didn't bring enough food to share with everybody, Jesus. And we don't have enough money to buy food for everyone. But you gave us an order. And just like you gave the last one, and we healed the sick, and we cast out demons, and we preached the gospel, and it was successful, we'll do this order too. So let's ask God to show us what we can't see or to do a miracle. Right? See, lack of love says, well, we've got enough for all of us to eat, but not them. Send them away. But compassion won't settle for a send them away answer. Compassion leads to a faith that will never settle for a carnal solution. Let me ask you this morning, do you settle for a lot of carnal solutions to your problems? If you are, then it's possible your faith has waned because your love has grown cold. Now, when they don't rise to the occasion... Jesus gives them their next set of instructions. He says, make them sit down by 50s in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. The word there to make them sit down actually means make them recline like it's a dinner party. Tell everybody not just to sit down, but to recline where they're all, I mean, they would know where they've got their right hand like this and they would eat with it, or I think it's like that. Yeah, they would eat with their right hand and they'd recline on their left hand. And the idea, everybody get comfortable. We're gonna have a dinner party. And that's what that word to gather into a company means. It means four meeting groups of 50. And they're probably thinking, this is gonna be like a banquet. Before any food is multiplied, they had to prepare the crowd for a massive dinner. Can you imagine how high expectations are running? Jesus is gonna give us free lunch. Jesus for president. (laughs) This is just like the manna in the desert. Oh man, what days to be living in, right? I mean, they're getting excited. So this took some serious faith in the disciples to sit them all down, you know, in these reclining positions, getting ready for a meal. But you know what else it also did? It put them into contact with individuals instead of seeing just the crowd. If I can say this without getting in too much trouble, I think one of the biggest problems we have in the United States of America is we don't see the individual anymore. Everybody falls into a group, right? Everybody falls into some category of a group. And if we don't like your group, then we don't like you. And we're gonna be mean and nasty to you. Or we're gonna say nasty things about you. Or we're gonna treat you nasty. Jesus sees the individual. He had compassion upon individuals. Jesus didn't just see the crowd and go, man, the crowd is bumming. He saw them as sheep, individual sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And can you imagine as the disciples started connecting with these people as individuals, seeing their need, seeing their problems, and seeing their excitement? I imagine their hearts began to feel more compassionate for them, which would make their faith grow. Now, can I say to you that sometimes when you're exhausted or you're in pain or you've experienced loss or you feel like you've got nothing left to give, It's good to take a moment to really look at the people around you and to see their needs. Because then it's not about what you have to give. It's about what God wants to do. Verse 16, this moment, they're all reclining in dinner parties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, the food. 
And he broke the bread into pieces, gave it to the disciples to set before the multitude. And the word there gave, he gave it to the disciples to set it before the multitude. It means that he distributed it to them and he said, no, go, go give it out. I imagine, again, Philip, the numbers guy, is probably going, you know, Lord, do you want us to break it in smaller pieces to make it go longer? I don't know what they did. But he just said, go give it out. And so they went and they gave it out and then they came back. That word gave is in the imperfect, which means he just kept on giving. The multiplication took place in Jesus' hands. So he would hand out the food, they'd distribute it, and when they'd come back to Jesus, there was more. Every single time they came back. Every time they came back. If I was like Peter, I'd have been like doing this the whole time. Like, I'm not taking my eyes off that dude's hands. I want to see it appear in his hands. Here, food. That would be me. But that's what happened. They would, they would just go and they'd just be the food. They'd come back and there'd be more food. Can you imagine how cool it would have been to be one of the 12 disciples? Like if I had a time machine, I would go and I would knock out Philip or somebody and put on a mask that looks like him. And I'd be like, hi, Jesus. You're like, you feed him. All right, I'm ready. Go pray. You know, that's what I would want to be here for this moment because can you imagine how cool this would be? To just go back and every time you go back, maybe the first time you went out, you know, you'd be thinking these people are going to kill us. There's not going to be enough food. You might divvy it out judiciously. You know, he's young. He doesn't need that much. Hoping to feed at least one dinner group. But then you go back and there'd be more. And it would happen again and again and again and again. I don't know about you, but if it was me, by the fifth or sixth time, I'd be jumping around going, who wants food? (laughs) Did you get enough, Mr. Jones? The kids still look hungry. Here's a bit extra for you, Miss Smith. I know it's been a rough time since your husband died, but today you're going to eat like a queen. That's how I'd have been. Maybe it didn't happen exactly like that, but I'm not too far off. Because verse 17 says, they did eat and they were all filled. They were all ate until they were satisfied is what that means. He, Peter would come by and they'd go, no, Peter, man, I'm good. I can't, I can't eat anymore. So much so that there was taken up fragments of the leftovers, 12 baskets full. They had probably one basket of food. Is what The baskets there are the hand baskets that the Jews would carry around. So it's probably what the kid had in his, his basket. 12 of those. So not only Jesus did he multiply it, but there was more leftovers than when they started with. Let me ask you a question. That's a bit different than sending them away, isn't it? That's a bit different of a solution, isn't it? You see Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. I love it. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul is praying for the Ephesian saints there in chapter three. He said, this is what I pray for you. At the very end, I say, now unto him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think because of his power that works in us. That same power still works in us because that same love exists for both us and for others. And the cool part is, as we understand his love for us and we exercise it towards others, our faith increases and we experience God's power. In verses 17 through 19 of that prayer, his prayer for them wasn't that they'd experience the power. His prayer for them was that they would know his love. He says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that that would be your foundation, that you might be able to comprehend with all saints. I want every saint to experience this. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height? And to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's then, after his prayer for them, is that they would know that they are loved, that they would rise up in faith, that the God whose power is working in them would do exceedingly abundantly all all they could ask or think. 
as we understand God's love for us and we exercise it towards others, our faith increases. Now, if you're feeling like, well, I, I don't know if I can do another day. I just can't. The pain is too great. I'm hurting right now. Realize Jesus has been there. And the way he got through it was by forgetting about what was fair, forgetting about what was right, forgetting about what he needed. He was convinced of his father's love, his father's plan, and he gave himself away, trusting that his father, who never grows weary, would give him what he needed, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's what it says in Isaiah 40, right? Israel's going, Lord, you don't see our problems. You don't know what we're going through. And the Lord goes, don't you know who I am? I am the everlasting God, the Lord. I don't grow weary. I don't get tired. I don't get frustrated. And those who wait on the Lord, they'll renew their strength. You know what that word renew means? It means to exchange. I don't know about you, but I'll gladly exchange my strength, which isn't much, for his strength. And the result is those that do that, they mount up with wings as eagles, right? You can just fly on the gusts, even if you're tired. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. That's his promise to us. It is our job to be faithful to that call. And while we may feel inadequate for the call, we are never alone in executing our goal. God empowers us with his Holy Spirit to do all that he asks of us. No matter how big or scary the task, God is with us and will complete what he has started. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.